How important is the gospel of Jesus Christ to the mission of the church? Is it part of what we do? Is it a piece of all the things that are going on in the ministry of our church? How important is the gospel of Jesus Christ to the mission of the church? Now, that may seem like an easy question, and you can probably guess what I'm getting ready to say here in a few moments, but I want you to understand today, in these last days, there are many, many churches, and there are many, many people who are in practice separating the gospel of Jesus Christ from the forefront of the Christian faith. You look around today, today Christianity has become about other things than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Watch, Christianity has become about good works, doing things that are heralded by the culture is good. Listen, the, the, the world doesn't care what you do as long as it's not preach the gospel. And so it's become about good works. Christianity has become about public opinion and public acceptance with the goal being that you would not offend anybody. And so they, they think, you know what, the, the church ought to be in the business of appeasing everybody. Christianity has become about success in life, and it's the way to have all the best things in life, to never be poor and to never be sick and never be inconvenienced in your life. Christianity has become about self-help or self-improvement, and the goal of it is to build up your self-esteem and to make you happy and to make you proud and satisfied in yourself. And somehow today, the Christian faith is being separated from the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus for the salvation of hopeless sinners. Now, that doesn't seem possible, but that's what's happening in the world. That's what's happening in many churches today. Friends, I want you to hear me this morning. Be very sure of it in these last days. The gospel of Jesus Christ is everything. In it, there is hope. In it, we find peace with God. In it alone, there is eternal life. And it is everything to us as followers of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to hear me. In these days that we exist in, our commitment is, in, is to the message of Jesus and him crucified and risen from the grave and salvation by faith in him alone. The gospel is everything to the mission of the church. Now, we're going to see that again in our verses today, played out in our verses this morning. Today, our message is entitled, A Good Man, A Great Message. A Good Man, A Great Message. Today, we're moving along. Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through the end of the chapter, verse 28. Chapter 18, verse 24 to verse 28, a good man, a great message. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. <clears throat> now a Jew named Apollos, and as Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. 
And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. During Father, we come today, we are thankful for this day. And Lord, we're thankful for this opportunity to stand as believers in the grace of God and the forgiveness of our sin and the finished work of Jesus. Lord, we do not look past this day. We're thankful for the opportunity to gather as the church and to celebrate you and to worship you. Lord, I pray now in our, in our time of study that you would speak to us. I know your word is living and active. I know it's relevant that it speaks today. And so I pray, Lord, that for the church in these days, that you would speak to us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that we would be equipped in this hour. And Lord, I pray it would make a difference, that it would bear fruit for the, for the kingdom of God, for the, for the name of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's some that are listening today, either in this room or some other way, I pray that in the hearing of good news, that today is the day of their salvation, that they would turn to you and trust you in faith, and in Jesus be saved. Lord, we, we commit all this to you. We trust it to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, let me set up our account for you today. It's an interesting account. In in Acts chapter 18, we have recorded the conclusion of Paul's second missionary journey. That's what it's called. And we have the start, the beginning of his third missionary endeavor, his third missionary journey. Now, in our preceding verses, the verses that we have just worked through, Paul has gone to Ephesus. The Bible says that he has gone to the synagogue there, that he has witnessed to the Jews there. The Bible tells us from there he has left and he begins to make his way back home. He goes to Jerusalem and then he goes to Antioch. Antioch is the church that sent him out and his return to Antioch marks the end of his second missionary journey. Really, he has gone all these places. He has preached the good news of Christ and now he has made his way back to Antioch and his return there marks the end of of his second missionary journey. The Bible says after staying there for a while, now we're not sure how long that time is, after staying there for a while, he has left, and the Bible says he has moved to the region of Galatia and Phrygia. He has revisited, he has encouraged and strengthened the churches in those areas. And so he has again left Antioch. He has gone through these two regions and he has revisited the churches that are established, encouraging them and strengthening them in the word of God. That is the start, that is the beginning of his third missionary journey. Well, at this point, the verses go back to Ephesus, and they tell us of an episode that takes place there. Now, Paul is not a direct participant in what's about to happen, uh, he, he has an influence in it, but he has no direct 
participation in this episode. And so telling us what Paul is doing, it leaves and goes back to Ephesus and gives us our account today. That begins in verse 24, and that's where we begin. That's where we are at today. So we're going to start there this morning in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. Verse 24 tells us, we go back to Ephesus, we leave Paul, and it says there in Ephesus that a man named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man. Now the word eloquent is a word that means gifted in learning, skilled in speech. It literally means a man of words. And so understand, this man, Apollos, he could read, and he could study, and he could think, and as a result of that, he could speak. Now, that's what happens. He could read, he could study, he could think, and as a result of those influences, he could speak as well. He was a smart man. Now, I want to stop and say this right here. God gifts us with minds. God gifts us with minds to think and to reason and to ponder and to read and to to think deeply. And, And Satan comes along and he wants us to put our minds away. All the way through the New Testament, we see that the battle for the truth is a battle for the mind. And so Satan comes along and he says, you know what, put your mind in neutral. You know what, become numb in your mind. Put so much stuff in your mind that you're no longer thinking. Well, Satan comes along and he tells us to put our minds away. Well, Lord God wants us to renew our minds, filling it with the word of God. Satan wants us to lose our minds, to not use them. Well, here is a thinking man. Bible says this eloquent man came to Ephesus, and it says, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. Now, these are two things. I think they build on each other. I think they feed each other. He was an eloquent man. He was a learned man, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. Mighty means able. He had ability. It most literally means he was strong and powerful. And so here's a man, and he is able in the Scriptures. He is gifted. He has ability in the Scriptures. Now, the Scriptures would have been the Old Testament Scriptures. That's what it's referring to. And so this Jewish man comes, and the Bible says he knows the Old Testament Scriptures. He is proficient. He is competent in the Old Testament Scriptures. All right, verse 25. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Now, don't become confused there. And being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Now, let me explain verse 25. Follow with me. The verse says he was taught in the way of the Lord. Now, he knew the Old Testament scriptures and he had been taught in the way of the Lord. Now, what that means is he knew the promise of the Old Testament. He knew that our God is a Savior God. He knew that God in the Old Testament 
had promised the Messiah. He knew their hope, their future, was in the coming of this Messiah. Now, the extent of his knowledge stopped with the teaching of John the Baptist. And so he knows the Old Testament scriptures. He knows the promise of the Old Testament scriptures. But his teaching, his learning stops with the teaching of John the Baptist. Now, if you remember from our study in John, one time we preached there for 100 days. If you remember from our study in John, John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And, and it, was, it was foretold of in the Old Testament. He comes in the ministry of John the Baptist is to prepare the way for Jesus. His ministry was to lead people to see their sin and to repent of that sin. Remember, he had a baptism of repentance, a sign to show your repentance, you would be baptized. He, he led people to see their sin, to be sorrowful over their sin, and to repent over their sin. Now, I said it several times during our study of John, but the, the reality is this, the way you lead people to Jesus, the way that you prepare people to receive Jesus is to lead people to see their sin, to lead people to be sorrowful over their sin, to lead people to see the standard of God and the sin, the rebellion of, of our hearts, of our, of our actions, and to actually be broken over our sin. Friends, I want to tell you something, and be sure to remember this. The mission of the church is not to comfort people in their sin. Sometimes we act like that's become the mission of the church. You know what? We don't want to upset anybody, and we're just glad that you'd come, and we don't want to offend anybody. And so we start the process of saying, you know what? Don't worry about that. Listen, the mission of the church is not to comfort people in their sin. It is not to cause them to be complacent in their sin, to say, you know what? It seems to be working out for me. Hey, I go to church sometimes, and so I am fine with my sin. No, the mission of the church, listen, is to say what God has said, that sin is a rebellion against God, that sin is a rejection of God. We, we like to make it small. No, sin is a rejection of God. Sin has broken your relationship with God. And listen to me this morning. The message of the church is sin needs a Savior. Many of the churches today, and there's a whole bunch of them, have deliberately decided to never address the subject of sin. And you can see them. You know who they are. They're all over the Internet. Some of them are all around us. But they have actually decided to never address the subject of sin. Now, that's, that's not some hidden thing. They will actually tell you, we're not going to talk about sin. And you, you go to these churches and you listen to these churches and they're going to tell you how to have your best life. They're going to tell you how to have your best marriage. They're going to tell you how to do well in the world. They're going to tell you how to feel good about yourself. This world's got you down. They're going to tell you how to feel good about yourself. But in the, the message of these churches, you will never hear about sin. Listen to me. Folks, the reality of the gospel is it is good news. It is good news. But it is good news for people that have sinned. 
and are stuck in their sin and are guilty in their sin. That is the good news of the gospel. Well, this man comes, Apollos comes, and he knows the message of the Old Testament. He knows the message of John the Baptist to repent, and it says that he is teaching the people in Ephesus. Now, I want you to notice here, it says he was fervent in spirit. He was fervent in spirit. Now, what that means is he was committed. He was zealous for God. He really was. He was zealous for the message that he had. And so he proclaimed it. All right, verse 26. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. He goes to Ephesus. He goes to the synagogue. And he starts telling the Jews there in the synagogue the message of the Old Testament. He starts telling them there is a coming Messiah. He starts telling them there is a need to repent, the message of John. Well, there in the synagogue, Priscilla and Aquila, remember the married companions of Paul. If you back up in verses 17 and 18, Paul traveled with them to Ephesus. He told them to stay there in Ephesus. He went on and left them there. Well, they are here when Apollos comes and they hear what he's doing and they, the Bible says they take him aside, they pull him aside and the Bible says they explain to him the way of God more accurately. Now, what that means is this. They tell him the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they do. They tell him, Jesus the Nazarene. Oh, I love this story. They tell him, Jesus the Nazarene, the one born in Bethlehem. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. Jesus the Nazarene, he is the seed of the woman of Genesis chapter 3. Jesus, he is the promise that was made to Abraham. And can you imagine as they start to unfold that, there is a promise that there will be a blessing for all nations and Jesus the Nazarene is this blessing. They begin to tell him Jesus is the Lamb of God the payment for sin, the propitiation for sin. And they begin to say, you know what? Sin is remedied in Jesus the Nazarene. And they begin to tell him Jesus is the king in the line of David, the king that will sit on the throne and never vacate it. They begin to show him where Jesus lines up and he is in the lineage of David. They tell him when you repent, you turn from sin and you turn to Jesus. The one who died for sin. The one who atoned for sin. Can you imagine that, that, that conversation? The one that is risen from the grave. The one that lives yet today. And they tell him by faith in Jesus, just like Abraham had faith, by faith in him, we are reckoned as righteous we wear the righteousness of Jesus. And they take him aside and they lay it out for him. Do you know how awesome that must have been? I was going through that. Do you know how awesome that must have been? Do you know here's this guy and he is zealous for the Lord and he has looked for a savior 
and he has held to God's word. He has trusted God. He knows he has needed a savior. He sees his sin. He's repented for his sin. He has longed for a savior. Savior, And you know what? Now he knows his savior is Jesus. Friends, I want you to see what's happened here. What has happened here is in the proclaiming of the good news and the preaching of the gospel, Apollos, the Jew from Alexandria that was eloquent in speech, he just got saved. That's what happened to Apollos. He found his Savior. I can't even imagine that. I need a Savior, and it's been promised, and here it is in God's Word, and this is the one. In the preaching of the gospel, he found his Savior. How important is the gospel? How important is the gospel? I want you to see this. This was a good man. This was a man zealous for God. This was a man that knew the Old Testament scriptures. He was educated in them. But this was a man that needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me just tell you, apart from the gospel, none of that mattered. Good man, loved the Lord, knew the Old Testament scriptures. Apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, None of that matter. But in the gospel of Jesus, he now knows his Savior and he has received God's grace and he is saved by receiving that gospel. And so I want to tell you today, how important is the gospel? The gospel is it. In the gospel, he finds Jesus. Can you imagine if he'd have made his way there? And they just said, well, you know what? There's some other good things. Here's, here's a good way to have a good day. Here's a good day to be highly, a good way to be highly favored. What if, what if he'd come and he'd have been teaching? They said, let me pull you aside and tell you why you'll never be poor, Apollos. The difference was the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God forgive us when we neglect the gospel. God forgive us when we become enamored with anything else but the gospel, the good news of a risen Savior, Jesus. Now, I want to show you something else, and it's a side note, but it is a, it is a big deal. We've got time <laughs> this morning. But I want you to see this. I want you to notice this. Notice this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And I want you to see something awesome about this, and I don't want you to miss it. The Bible says, and here's what the verse says. The Bible says, and they took him aside, and they explained the way of God to him more accurately. Here's what I want you to notice about this couple. They were on the same page. They were on the same mission. They knew the word of God. They knew the gospel. They told Apollos, and that's an awesome thing. What an example. Listen, today too many times, and I'll just tell you, it's the pattern. Too many times, sadly, in a marriage, one person takes the lead. And most of the time in our world, it's the female. Back in their day, it was the male. But, but sadly today, mostly one person takes the lead, and the other person says, you know what, that's their deal. You know what, I'm glad for that. You know what, I, that's great for them. And you know what, they can know the Bible enough for me. 
And they can proclaim the gospel, praise the Lord, enough for me. That's good for them. And I want you to see in their example here, it was them. They were together the same page, the same mission. Let me tell you something. What could God do with homes like that? What could God do with a, with a husband and a wife that pushed each other to know the word of God and to preach the Savior of the word of God? What could God do with homes like that where somebody didn't say, oh, I'm content to let you do it? Let me promise you this. The result will be more than doubled. Sometimes we think, well, there's one and one to be doubled. The result to be more than doubled. What an example we have in Priscilla and Aquila. Verse 27. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Now, having now the gospel, Apollos wants to share it. That's what we see here. He has heard the gospel. He has received the gospel. And having the gospel, he wants to share it. He wants to go to Achaia. It is a region across the Aegean Sea. And I think this is interesting. Its capital city is Corinth. What a crazy tie-in that is. He's going to go to Corinth. He is encouraged by the brethren to go. They write letters telling them the believers to welcome him when he gets there. Apollos is coming. He, he is true, and, 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 and we support him, and they write letters for them to welcome him in. And the Bible says, and he greatly helped them there. Verse 28. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. For he powerly refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now I want you to see what happens here. The Jews would come along and they would intimidate folks. And they would say, well, you do know the Old Testament says this. And you do know the law said this. And you do know that Moses said this. And they would intimidate folks and they would mess people up and stir people up. Well, I'm not equipped to talk to them. You ever notice, folks, that sometimes bully people with the word of God? And you come along and say, well, actually, the Bible says this, but they got so many verses, they're ready to shoot out on you, and they're loud when they do it, and so you go, you know what, I better just be quiet. Well, that's what the Jews are doing here. They're finding these believers, and they're saying, well, look at this, and look at this. And guess what? Apollos comes back, and it says, he publicly, watch this, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. The word powerfully means vigorously, vehemently, forcibly. The best translation for powerfully is this. He pressed it to the limit. He stretched it to the limit. You ever take a balloon and stretch it and stretch it and you know, hey, this thing's about to go, but you know what, I need to get another inch out of this thing. He, he stretched it, he pressed it to the limit. I want you to see this. He works and he strains 
to preach the gospel, and he presses it to the limit. Do you know why? It's because people that do not hear it are lost. He stretches it to the limit because people that do not hear it are lost. They may know absolutely nothing, or they may have been like him, and they knew something, but if they do not hear the good news of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, they are lost, they are doomed. The Bible says they are ruined, and they will perish. Let me tell you something, church. Let me tell you something, friend. In these last days, we better get the urgency of that. We better know the urgency of that. We better understand that. It is the same way people that do not have the gospel of Jesus Christ, they may say to one, they're a good person and they would love to know these things, but if they do not know about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus to pay for sin, they will perish. It's the same. And so he goes and he stretches it to the limit. The Bible says demonstrating. It means displaying, proving, pointing out by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. I don't know, this may be my favorite part. He demonstrates by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. I want you to be sure of this. The testimony of scripture, all of it, the testimony of scripture is this, Jesus is the Christ. You know that? This whole book, the testimony of this book is Jesus is the Christ. That is why it is written because Jesus is the Christ. That is why it is recorded for us, because Jesus is the Christ. That is why today it must be upheld, because Jesus is the Christ. It's why it must be proclaimed, because Jesus is the Christ, and by faith in Jesus, people are saved. How important is the gospel? It is everything. Friends, we have to remember today, listen, the gospel is good news. Sometimes we, we've been pushed around enough and we've listened to the world enough, we start to say, you know what, they don't want to hear that. You know what, that's offensive to them. You know what, that's going to be embarrassing to me. We have to remember today, the gospel is good news. And in a world where there is no good news, we have good news. We have to remember what we learned in John, that Jesus is the good news. Well, I don't know all that. Listen, Jesus is the good news. Our hope is in Jesus. Let me wrap it up this morning by saying this. The good news of the gospel, and I want you to listen. The good news of the gospel is this. I'm talking to each of us. Now, I want you to think about this. The good news of the gospel is this. You're, is you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We've sinned. We knew the wrong thing. We marched headlong into it. We knew the right thing. We stayed away from it. We have sinned. The good news of the gospel is in that sin, we've earned a punishment. I can't blame it on anybody but myself. You can't either. We've earned a punishment. The Bible says it's death. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that it's separation from God for eternity, the second death. The Bible says we can do nothing about that. You can't change that fact. You can't do enough good deeds now. 
You, you can't go around and, and do enough things now. You can't memorize enough verses. You can't do enough things to, to cover the fact that you're a sinner and you've earned your punishment. The, the, the truth of the gospel is this. We are hopeless in our sin. And, and you know what? We have, we have a broken relationship with God, and folks say, you know what? If I could just fix that, if I could just repair that, if I could draw closer to him, and they find out there is no repair in the relationship with God caused by our sin except for Jesus. The Bible says God loves you, and I'll just tell you, God loves you. He loves you. He knows you, and he sees you. And he sees your helplessness in your sin. He sees your hopelessness in your sin. He sees the broken heart of living in sin. And so he sends his only begotten son. Listen to this. The greatest cost, he sends his only begotten son, and he comes, the prince of glory, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, takes on human flesh. In human flesh, he is mocked, he is beaten, he is spat upon, he is disgraced. The creator God of all things, he created all things, is subjected to the mockery of his, of his creation. Man of sorrows. Jesus goes to the cross and he's stretched out and he's nailed to that cross. And there he dies, shedding his blood for the remission of my sin, yours too. The sins of the world paid for in the cross of Calvary. They take him off of that cross and they put him in a grave and he's dead, actually, physically, literally dead. And three days later, the good news of the gospel is this. He doesn't stay dead. He walks out of the grave and he stands as the risen Savior, the hope of sinners, the King of kings, and he is alive and he yet liveth yet again. He stands as the victor. And I want to tell you the good news of the gospel is that's not some far-fetched story you can't get to. That's not some gospel of good news for somebody, but not for you. But if you are listening and you have ears, listen, that gospel's for you. God's grace is extended to you in the finished work of Jesus. And in the grace of God, the free gift of God, if you will receive him in faith, I am a sinner and I know it. And Lord, I trust you for my salvation. If you will turn to him, he'll save you. You shall be saved, just like Apollos. And listen to me, friend. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. There's two calls with that gospel. And the first one is this, and I, I want to be clear and I want to be loud in this one. The first call of that gospel is believe it. Believe it. The message of the New Testament, believe it. The call of God, believe it. Believe it. And in belief, you shall be saved. The call of the gospel is believe and receive salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you there's a second call, and it's, it's just as important for a lost world. The second call of that gospel is proclaim it. Proclaim it. Don't clam up. Don't get busy. Don't get distracted. We have a risen Savior that has paid for sin, and in his grace, he offers his forgiveness to sinners. The second call of that gospel is proclaim it. If you've received Christ by faith, listen, friend, you are saved. It is settled. And now it turns, and your mission is to proclaim it. This was a good man, Apollos, but you know what made him? It was the great message of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come, and we're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your kindness. We're thankful for good news for sorry, messed up sinners like myself. We're thankful you didn't write us off. We're thankful you didn't... You didn't turn your back on us, but in great love and grace and kindness and mercy, 
You made a way for us. You made a way for me. We praise you for that. Lord, I pray for some that are hearing today the good news of Jesus for the first time. Maybe they've understood it for the first time. Lord, I pray that in this day, any hindrance will be removed. And I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray for us that have received in grace your kindness. We're saved. Lord, I pray we wouldn't be so apathetic. We wouldn't lack such integrity that we wouldn't tell folks that are lost and hurting in their sin, as were we, the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, make us that type of people. Make us that type of church. And Lord, I pray that in the fruit of all of that, my Savior, my King Jesus is exalted. He is known and he is praised and he is glorified. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you. Lord, we give all this to you, this time of response, we give it to you. And we ask again that you're pleased and you're honored in the result. We trust it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to tell you the good news of the gospel is this. It's available to you right now. And so we close our service with a time of invitation, a time to decide, a time to choose Jesus. And so if you're here, you're listening to some other means and you've never trusted Jesus, I would encourage you to do that today. Settle that today. Trust in him and he'll save you today. Turn to Jesus today. In a few moments, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. If God has spoken to you, if he is speaking to you, you come and let's settle that. If you need more information, don't go out of here without it settled. You come, let's take care of that. If you're here and you've made that decision, you want to follow in believer's baptism, maybe it was some time further back, you come as well. And we'll set a day to be a great day of celebration, testifying through, through baptism to what we believe of Jesus. You come as well. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and you believe God has led you here. You come as well. And together we'll serve for his name's sake until he comes back and gets us. Maybe you want to come pray at an altar today. Maybe you want to come pray with me. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about or head for an exit. You pray for those that are making decisions. If you have a decision to make, as we stand to sing, you step out.